0: Welcome to this week's episode of Birthright Living Legacy Podcast where we share the stories of fatherhood and their effects because there is no manual. We are here to learn from each other as we build our fatherhood playbook. Now welcome your hosts, Marquise and Crystal Dennis. So this is the
1: first... First, first of the first podcast. Welcome to Birthright Living Legacy Radio. Joined by my amazing wife and co-host, Mrs. Dennis. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for her.
2: (laughs) Yes. Oh, you're too much.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, we are just uh, coming here live uh, from the Birthright Living Legacy offices just to be able to touch base with everyone and start this wonderful podcast. So, we are going to do a brief introduction so you know who we are, where we came from, and why this is even a thing. So, would you like to say something?
2: I mean, I feel like you captured it pretty well. Our goal is just to give the the vision and, and why we're here and why what our goal, what our purpose, what our passion is, and why we're doing this.
1: Awesome. So, I am Marquise Dennis. I am a 39-year-old man. Uh, I am a father of three and a third, I'll say, uh, because my wife is pregnant at the moment. So she's kind of, he's only five millimeters, right? Or what is it, five, five ounces. ounces? Five, five ounces, okay. Five come so on So five ounces, you know, <laughs> so I don't know if that counts. Uh, it's but, a full baby. Uh, he is in the oven at the current moment. Uh, my oldest is 19. Second, she is... 18 and my youngest is ten, soon to be eleven. Um, we are starting this podcast uh because I have undergone a lot of stress and turmoil, uh, trying to grow up, one without a father, and then two being thrusted into the uh woes of life coming from the ghetto belief of not taking care of my kids was somehow a honorable thing. Um, It was a weird transition because the pain and anguish that was created uh, is now something that's replicated through the pain and the misery of my children uh, as we are trying to reconcile those differences. Um, It's been a long journey, um, but in this process, I've been able to see the glory that God is trying to do by awakening the fathers uh, such as myself. Uh, It would be easy to point the finger uh, and say that, you know, it's the mom's fault they kept me away. However, uh, I do understand that there was some validity to that at the time. However, now the toxicity and the anguish has been passed on to my children, and it is very apparent in their speech. Um, some of the things that I hear are, well, I uh, hear that if I get close to you, you're going to then just make me fall in love and then leave and I was like well I don't know if you understand but the relationship between me and your mother and you are completely different um a lot of the times in that mindset of being where I was coming from the uh, growing up that I grew up single mother um, she definitely had you know some men in her lifetime uh, but I'm not here to talk about her uh, but the men that she impacted my life with uh, were not were less than examples that I was uh, impressed with. So, meeting the various stepfathers and guys that tried to court my mom, I had to learn very quickly that those were the guys I did not want to be. And by casting judgment on them and casting judgment on my father with a very stern, if you only knew how to do things, you'd be great kind of a mentality. I grew up to repeat all the very same mistakes. So with that, it left me with a large hole and a chip on my shoulder to try to do a lot of things that I should not have been able to do. Um, So that is what Birthright Living Legacy was about. I remember sitting in an apartment one time uh, in a downtown apartment that I once had, and my son was coming to visit And I thought to myself, man, you know, this sucks that my son is only able to come and see me if I'm flirting with his mom or she's in a good mood. There needs to be a place where dads are allowed to be the fathers of their kids, whether their mothers feel like it or not, Um, but to be able to provide a safe place for them to do so Because one of the things that in this day and age and, you know, a lot of my peers have ran into is that manipulation is a thing. So when a kid is not being catered to in the way that they feel is adequate, they can make up a story or they can put a person in a situation to where that person is now fighting for their life because it's no longer guilty or innocent until proven guilty. It's guilty until proven innocent. So you're not in a situation where you're able to say, um, you know, show me what I did, but it's now I have to prove what I didn't do. And it's hard to prove that I didn't do something that never happened. Um, so a lot of fathers have been terrified by those thoughts, myself included, um, Is although it was never any kind of accusation of sexual, you know, predatory type things. But there was some things, that I just, you know, kind of threw a red flag for me to make me be like, whoa, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, just to get a little bit more intimate, go to a little bit deeper layer. My son had to get a haircut when he didn't want to. And so when I took him back home, we were laughing and joking and having a good time. And when I pulled into the driveway, he just burst into tears and Started doing this whole dramatic sliding out of the seat thing, and I was like, "What are you doing?" And I was completely baffled. Like, so I immediately, to protect myself, pulled out my camera and started videotaping him because I was like, "What are you doing? Why are you acting like this?" And so he just didn't answer. He just he didn't have any tears. He was just crocodile tearing and screaming. And I said, "Man, you're tripping." So he was seven at the time and so he you know runs in the house and his mother wasn't there but his aunt was there and his aunt had a grudge already against me for whatever her various reasons were and so she then calls her sister to tell her sister that I beat up my son Um just to give you a kind of a visual my son's seven years old he comes up to my waist I'm a 320 pound six foot four black male, if I would have punched my son, there would have been some sort of notion that he had been hit. You know, there's just not a a way for me to punch him and him not to be bruised. He's a mixed kid. So, um, but anyway, he ran in, told his aunt, aunt then called the mom at work. Mom called me back freaking out saying that I beat him up and then recorded it. So all my friends could see. And I, And I just stopped and I said, now, does that even sound like something that I would do? And her reply was, no, that sounds really crazy. I said, now, why would you think out of all things that that would be something that's true? And she was like, I don't know. I'm at work. I said, you know, you just had me because she texted me and told me that she wanted his hair cut because he wasn't taking care of it. And instead of me trying to be toxic and showing him, it didn't matter. It just, you're getting your hair cut. So that's what it is. However, so then he played his mom against me and I just was like, "Mm, nah, because if you're capable of that, I know other people that are very close to me where their kids have made more egregious and serious accusations. So that immediately caused me to say, whoa, I'm going to just back up because I don't have anywhere to go where I can have my kid and be safe where, you know, if he makes up some kind of story that I'm, I'm safe and now I'm scared to take him on my own, uh, which is a horrible thing as a father. So anyway, that was, uh, the most recent of situations, but, um, you know, the other two kids, you know, um, they're older and I was way younger. I was 20 years old. Um, trying to be a cool guy out in the streets making life, uh, and then ended up deciding to, you know, try to sell money, sell drugs to make money to offset my child support. Um, then I forgot the purpose that I was selling drugs was to see my kids and then started living the party life and it was a crazy ordeal. But anyway, that's enough about me. But that is your host, your founder, and your executive director of Birthright Living Legacy. That is my passion, that is my heart, and that is why I'm here because I have made almost every mistake you possibly can as a father or as a deadbeat dad or as a caring, nurturing individual trying to mend a broken heart uh, after the fact. Because I then have met my dad in the sense and had to go through that situation of trying to grow and love him through the pain and anguish of him leaving me. So I understand it. I feel it and the 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 struggle is real so
2: we got to hear a little bit about your story and your journey and kind of what led you to this point. But I'm curious if you can give um everyone an example of of what it looks like now being on the flip side of that because here you are, this father that made these previous decisions. You still have three kids. You're you're constantly trying to reconcile um but you know that the reconciliation it is going to be dependent on their receiving it. So so what would you say Being on this side of it, what would you say is your passion and your motivation in Birthright Living Legacy now being who you are today with the father mindset that you have currently?
1: Uh, Great question. So today, the guy that I am today is a man that realizes that no matter how much I apologize, no matter how much I uh, try to feel guilty about it, there's nothing that's going to change the past. So all I can do is Bear the weight of what has happened. Um, no matter what darts are thrown at me from my children, I just accept it instead of trying to defend. Um, because what I've learned is is that their mothers, you know, they were there. Win, lose, or draw, they were there. So no matter what I say, I'm going to be either attacking them and their words through it, or um, something else. So I've just decided that through the study and through the counsel of a lot of mentors that I've had in my life that I have to bear responsibility. So through that, it's made me look at it a lot differently. So I approach uh, fatherhood with such a different mentality. And I got to tell you that being married and having a kid is a huge difference. And I, and I I, listen, I'll get really close to the mic. I recommend being married first it's not the end-all be-all but it definitely does help um because the outline of how the life is supposed to go when you sit down and you talk to your partner of you know what are we going to do how are we going to raise kids how do we plan like we talked about these things even though we had what three months three two months to try to figure it out yeah so we had two months we got married that's a whole nother story we can tag you on our Facebook and uh, send you that story if you're interested. But our, our, our marriage and meeting happened very quickly. However, the maturity level that I have now is to know that no matter how much I know, I don't know anything. So with that, it's given me a deep passion for amelioration to continuously grow. And with that, um, as a father, my passion for birthright is just to do what I've been able to do. And that's know that I don't have the answer and so I try to put myself around other fathers that even if they haven't experienced what I have I learn from them to say wow I didn't know that that was a thing for instance I have a friend that had daughters and I remember seeing him for the first time with his nails painted and I thought how gay that was or how ridiculous that seemed at the time you know this is in the 90s and this dude was somebody I looked up to as a you know, you, a street dude. Like, I was just like, what? And his answer was so matter-of-fact. He was like, I got daughters. What do you think? You know, what do you what do you mean? That's what I'm supposed to do. And I thought how lost I was as an individual when I was like, wow. If my daughter wanted to paint my nails, I would have flipped out, you know? And so now, understanding that that's a part of being a dad, especially a dad of daughters, if you're not... You know, I had to be able to be willing to take that and happily invest that time in my daughter. And so now on the other end, now that she's all hurt and all grown, now when she curses at me or lashes out, I, it still hurts because it sucks because I know that it's not the way that she thinks it was, but I can't, she wouldn't receive it if I tried to explain it. So Now, being a caring person that understands that I made a decision that affects me now 20 years ago. That I didn't know that was going to affect me now. Um, Being able to bird that burden uh, and carry that is a lot easier for me now than it was even two years ago. Even five years ago. Um, And it just comes with growth. So, my journey now is just being able to, one make sure that the fathers that are coming up or that are out there experiencing anything of the sort of what I did, that they don't think that they're alone. Um, So I'm trying to make sure that they know that they have help uh, in a community. Um, And then secondly, for me, it's just a continuous battle of just being able to say, "If if my heart is truly to be with my children, then that has to be my focus you know i remember when i had a pretty large lump sum of money saved up you know uh to move back to my home i had had it as a rent house and i was going to move back i had to do all these repairs and you know i heard this 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 pastor say that you know where your treasure is is where your heart is and i remember i don't know why it came to me the day it did but it just was random i opened the drawer where all my money was at And I heard it just like it was clear as day, said, your treasure is where your heart is. And I said, oh my gosh. And I thought to myself, it's still on me. You know, it's supposed to be for my kids long before I met my wife. Um, But I was just like, how do I, how do I prove that I really care? You know, how is it more than just talk at this point? And when I realized that if I'm gonna lay my life down for my children, in theory, I have to actually do it in real life. So I took about $7,000, I think it was seven to nine thousand, I don't remember how much it was now. But I took the whole lump sum of money and broke it up between my children and sent it to child support to try to catch myself up. And I remember being able to send that money in, you know, and it just, it hurt. It really did. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great feeling at the time because it was like, wow, this is really happening. However, I wouldn't take it back because it was definitely worth it. Um, and that's where I am now as a person that's trying to walk out what I actually, uh, claim to be doing. And that's through birthright. That's through my own story and living a transparent life of saying, Hey, Fathers, I will open my story. I will open my soul and open myself for ridicule and torment um, just to make sure that they know that they don't have to um, and that once they get the opportunity to take responsibility for the things that they've done and learn how to co-parent even with a toxic situation, there's ways around and you just have to believe that being a father—if that's what you really want to do—then being a father is going to not be easy. Just like being a child is not being—it's not easy. Growing up is is a constant constant challenge. Excuse me. So, yeah. Hope that answered your question in a very roundabout, talkative way.
2: <laughs> no, you did great. I think I just have one more question. You know, you've chosen a a very. Um, unusual approach to our our day and age these days you know everybody wants to come on in a podcast or YouTube and they want to be polished and they want to give the right answers and they want everything to look um, up to par but you've really taken an approach of being um, vulnerable authentic genuine you've given some details that um, you know are controversial um, there's just you you have no clue what can happen from this point just giving the amount of detail you've given into your situation and so my question to you is why take the approach of the imperfection why take the approach of of airing all your dirty laundry per se um, how is that impacting the listeners what is it that you see them benefiting from that
1: uh i just see the the need for it you know there's so many people that are trapped by there's there's so many people that are trapped because they can't live their story whatever that may be um, I'm not going to I can't guarantee that it's always going to be politically correct and I promise you if you play this 20 years from now somebody's going to be angry two years from now, a, a year from now somebody might be mad at tomorrow. some of the <laughs> yeah tomorrow somebody <laughs> might be offended by the comments that I make but they're true to my story and I don't ever mean any malice. You know, I don't have any hatred towards any group of people. Um, Just my reality is the way that it is. And for me in my house, we serve uh, Yahweh, the God of all the earth. And that's just our beliefs. Uh, But I don't, I don't condemn Muslims. I don't condemn, you know, Catholics or somebody else that has a different belief. I've always just been like, if I wasn't born in America, would I still be Christian? You know, uh, But for me and my house, that's just what we do. And that's what we believe. And the God that I serve uses imp- imperfect people. And as long as I can see myself as imperfect, I will never sit from some pedestal and feel like I have the answers. So by being vulnerable, by being um, open, it's what I like to call the Eminem version. Uh, if you go back to the Eight Mile, when him and Papa Doc was about to rap, oh, you know man. he was like, he was like, you know, yeah, I am a bum. I do live in the trailer. He said, I know everything that you're about to say about me, and that completely took away all that power that the other guy had because he was able to say, this is my story. You know, even though I know that some of the things that I remember are not the way that they remember them, it's their perception. And I've I've been able to understand perception. Perception is a real thing. You and I could watch the same thing and you can see something different. But that doesn't mean that because you see something different that you're wrong. It just means that's what your lens is, and it means that mine is gonna be a little bit different. So that's where me being open, me being honest, me being vulnerable comes from, is just being able to give a platform that, man, there's no such thing as perfect. Even if I did everything right, my kids could still turn out jacked up, according to my own expectations or society's expectations. Or they could come from a crazy jacked up situation and turn out what we would perceive to be perfect. You know, a lot of people I know just at first glance think about you in that sense of like, oh my gosh, you're so perfect. And I tell her, I say, she is, she's perfect for me. However, she did live a lot of life. Like nobody has a clue because you're so nice, so joyful. Like, and without that, people have nothing to attach to. Because if all they have to attach to is a polished version of you, then they don't know the struggle of why they get to see what they see. You know, it's 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 a great process. It's scary. And don't think that, you know, when we get to some of these hard questions later on, when we're interviewing some of these fathers later on, that, you know, things aren't going to come out that I'm going to wish, oh my God, I wish I wouldn't have said that. However, it is what it is, you know it's my story and that's the way that I see it. Uh, so just please be aware that I don't mean any harm. Don't mean any malice. Um, when things are going on that I recollect, it's just from my perception, you know, hopefully one day I can have my children on here. Hopefully one day we'll have my, my children's mothers on here and we will be able to have those hard conversations. It's going to be vicious, but that's just my dream. <laughs>
2: Perfect. I love it. So there's some true beauty in just living that authentic lifestyle, which is one of the beautiful things about um, being married together. Because we both walk with that standpoint of, of transparency. Um, you know, there's enough people on pedestals these days. It's so easy to idolize someone unintentionally, whether it's a YouTuber, or, um, someone on Facebook. You know, you just see what they give you, and you think, oh, I just why can't I be perfect like them? Or why can't I have it together? Or, why is my kid crying when their kid is all?" polished and sitting upright with our hands crossed, you know, um but but for us we've we've lived a really raw, rugged life. Um and praise God he's brought us to the point where we can Um, be evident of his redemption in us but that doesn't change our past that doesn't change our experiences and that's very much who we still are today Um, so we are both believers we are um, a dedicated household of being genuine and authentic but our our true desire is just to um, to help others gain insight into the rawness of life you know yeah, like he said it's awkward sometimes. He had a hard time even getting me here um tonight. Truth. <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not as in the air and open as as he is, but he's teaching me. He's teaching me to be brave and be bold. Um but I just want you guys to hear our hearts in this and and know that everything we say, you know, it is genuine. There's no script for today. There's no script for our life. We just we go by the moments that we're led in and we try to be as obedient as we can. And we really feel like this is just there's just such a hunger for that. You know, we've been married oh, four months ish. I'm going to just say, let's not count. Let's just say August. (laughs) We've been married since August and several uh, moments of our journey we've put on Facebook and so many people are just, you know, responding and thanking us and encouraging us and we're not doing anything. We're just giving you glimpses into date night or glimpses into us fighting, literally. Um, (laughs) And so because of that, we begin to see the importance of transparency, the importance of letting people hear your story and not being so worried about, uh, what one might think, or or how something might be interpreted, um, because we're all, we're happy to answer questions after the fact. But what what we need to get out there is the truth, and um, you know it to its great extent. segue.
1: So now that we're talking about the truth, let's hear about your story. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came about to this process, and why it's important to you.
2: Okay, well, um, late introduction, but my name is Crystal Dennis, previously Crystal DeBose about, uh, let's say six months ago. Six months? Yeah. Um, I am 29 years old. I do not, well, I ish have a child in the womb currently. <laughs> and I am married to your, your host, Marquise Dennis. And Birthright Living Legacy is actually what. Um, brought us together in a sense you know the very first day that I moved here I was exhausted and tired and I won't give you the whole story but long story short I just had this prompting from God to to go to this coffee shop and uh, I get there meet Marquis he starts um He starts telling me about Birthright Living Legacy and how he had just launched it. And I was just so encouraged because I was like, ah, you're the reason God told me to come here. Let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about my journey. Um, And so I guess that a little bit paraphrased, it's a bit of a long story, so I'm not entirely sure I I should go into that full thing, but um, I grew up with my mother. Um, I am a only half-child? How do you say that? I have five half-sisters, but I am the only child for my father. Um, My mother and father were married when I was very young and divorced before I was probably out of diapers. I'm not entirely sure of the age. Um, And then I never heard from my father or saw him ever again. And so um, I grew up, you know, just feeling and being told that, you know, he never wanted me and, and, you know, why would I believe anything else? Um, so there was for most part of my youth, there was just this re- resentment and anger, like, how can you have a child and just abandon them? Um, I just, I couldn't fathom that, you know, how could you not just even want to have a conversation occasionally? Um, it just, it just blew my mind. And so probably about until 20 ish. I I just was angry at him and I remember wanting to find him sometimes just for the aha ah, you know moment of <laughs> you know <laughs> Look at me now look at what you left don't you Yeah it? bye <laughs> Um but I, I very quickly, uh, not so quickly, I very slowly learned that, um, that, that hate and that anger and that bitterness was just toxic to me. I wasn't doing anything. I was, nobody was getting, uh, I wasn't getting any vindication. Um, so I had to let it go. And that wouldn't have been possible aside from, you know, um.
1: That wouldn't have been possible.
2: Thanks. That wouldn't, pregnancy break, can't, can't do distractions. <laughs> that wouldn't have been possible, aside from uh, me being able to come to know the Lord. You know, I've only been a believer for five years, and, and just being able to um, have someone in my life being God. Uh, who just truly accepted me, received me, and loved me unconditionally, and I did absolutely nothing for him, was the first point that I realized I could be loved, and I was lovable. And you know that just birthed a whole a whole season of forgiveness in my own heart. And so um, I would say three years, I think it was after I became a believer in 2015, I got a phone call at work that my father had passed away. And talk about it's a real moment. You know, I would never in my life heard his name um, in connection to me aside from. You know the initial, yeah, your father's Myron Debose. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Anyways, there's just a prompting in my heart to, to go and take care of his estate. You know, the the officer that called me let me know that I was the next of kin. They just had to notify me. There was no responsibility. I just had to be notified. And so I began asking where he lived, and I got a hold of the property manager, flew out there, um, just thinking, you know. If, if I could do nothing else, at least I could honor him in taking care of his estate. You know, if he had no one else, that's a pretty tragic way to go. Um, so that was in my mind, you know, when it says honor your mother and father, that was my way of honoring my father, though he, you know, was not in my life. So get down there, get the keys. As I'm, as I'm um, approaching, I get a text message from the property manager saying, hey, I had them remove this from him before they took him away. And so I, I open the picture and it's a picture of a dog tag that says, Crystal DeVos, I have always loved and missed you and i i am pretty sure the earth stopped moving at that point And I thought, what in the world, you know? And then I walk into his home and there are photos, baby photos of me everywhere. Um, there's there's boxes in his closet with my name on it of toys he's bought me all throughout the years. There's a savings account in my name. He left everything in my name. I went all around town trying to collect medical records and get as much history as I could for myself. And I practically didn't even have to show ID because everybody just knew who I was. Not because he knew me at this stage. He didn't have me on Facebook. He had no connection but because one I look like him Two, he had talked so much about me that the moment I began to say my father passed away they just said oh, Myron oh no you know and it was just instinct because he truly lived out his legacy of loving me
1: wow that's powerful okay so you um you get to this surreal moment where you're you know you go your whole life thinking your dad hated you and that he didn't care anything about you. He left you and walked out and you're just devastated, but then you get a phone call and they're like, "Hey, your dad is dead." And you're like, "What t- talk us through like what that what that moment was like, you know, especially since you were you were trying to get to that point where you were like wanting to show him like, "Aha, I didn't need you. I'm successful without you." And then finding out that he's dead now. Like, what was that? Was there any thoughts of that while you're, you know, obviously at work? Did you just like, what was that transition like for you?
2: Yeah. So by that point, I had let go of the the vengeful side of things. Um, And to the most part that I had understood, forgiven him and just chalked it up to, you know, I don't know his story, um, but he's got one. And so I can't. Just as much as I'm not willing to find him and pursue him, he's probably got the same reason or a a reason why he's not trying to find and pursue me. And so I had more or less kind of given up. There was still always a desire to just, you know, at least have one sit down. And all I really wanted to know is why, you know, why do you why would you ever have a kid and just walk away? Mm-hmm. So I get that phone call. And, and truly, it, it I mean, I just shut down as much as as much as humanly possible not even that it was a it was a attempt it just happened and I remembered hanging up the phone and I I just kept trying to work and um, I work in lending so that was not a good idea because you know I'm giving out a lot of money (laughs) and so I remember I almost messed up big and I just it occurred to me I was like wow I need to walk away and so I went to my boss's office and I just tried to say I need to go home you know and I wasn't even gonna give details and then I just broke down crying I couldn't wow. even get words out really Um, and you know of course he I got enough out for him to be okay with me leaving <laughs> but I nice. think if somebody who shows up in your office bawling you're just gonna let him go <laughs> <laughs> well if
1: it was me I, it, I'd i be like hey you gotta go back to work I'm just cruel like that but, uh, Um yeah. but yeah so that makes <laughs> sense okay so you had the breakdown because you graduated from the vengeful I don't you know care about you to now the reality is sitting in like now you'll never get to meet him you'll never get to know him and then as you were going to to town you know to find out who he was as you entered his home I remember you explaining this and this you going into his home was probably the the thing that impacted me the most, um, that made me even before we were, you know, to be in a relationship, I remember that moment just being like, Oh my gosh, I'm here to meet you. You are the reason why we are even doing this. So as you open the door, describe what that was like for you. Um, you know, in a little bit more detail as you were you know, perusing through, I, I believe you said you went with your cousin, right?
2: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So what was that moment like when you turned the key, open the door to, you know, a life of, of mystery, uh, so to speak, where you're like, this guy that abandoned me, that never wanted to see me, never wanted to talk to me, didn't want me, and then boom, the door opens.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to say I thought all those things through, but truly I was, uh, I was just in a state of shock that just that just lasted for a couple of days, um, and and it wasn't until I got there, you know, it was almost as if I had compartmentalized and I just said, he's not my father, this is a man I'm doing something for, I would do this for a neighbor, I would do this for a stranger, you know, so I had just kind of removed the emotional, this is my father's home aspect from it. Um, that dog tag hit me, and that began to bring the emotions in when I saw that, uh, but I still was like, ah, oh, my." Uh, you could wear a necklace, you know, that ain't saying much. <laughs> 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 so I'm still trying to, like, deny it in my head. And so I, then I walk in and, and just seeing the baby pictures and seeing my name. Uh, he had my name, my date of birth, and my social written on at least 70 pieces of paper, just very clearly trying to not forget who I was. Wow. And I just was shocked. Like, I, I probably didn't say one word to my cousin. I just was was walking around it was as if i had gone into a time capsule um you know the air was thick and 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 the earth was rotating so slow um and so i just was walking through and looking and trying to to receive it all in and and by the time that i got to his bedroom uh, which is where i saw this box with my name on it you know just even that is just such a surreal thing like what are you doing with a box with my name on it?
0: Wow.
2: Um, and so I pulled it down and I opened it and I saw all these toys and and at that moment just broke any bitterness, any denial, any anything that I had in me and from that moment forward it was just genuine whatever was in that moment and for me it was it was genuine love you know I, I found myself um, saying in my head like wow, I love you dad. And then I was like, what did I just say? You know, <laughs> never in my life have I ever said those words. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. I never had a stepdad, none of that. Um, so it was so surreal, but it was so healing. And so because it was in such a real way and such a genuine way, because he truly chose to live a life dedicated to loving me and making sure that should he die, to which he did, um, I knew I was loved. And I knew that he never gave up on me. Uh, To an extent, you know, and so there's never been a a thought of what could have been or why couldn't I just live with him or why couldn't we have met before he passed away? Because I just somehow know or I'm okay with the fact that that's how life played out. You know, Mm -hmm. I I hate to say it's a a benefit, but I kind of have the benefit of never knowing him. I don't know if we would have gotten along. I don't, you know, there's so many things in, in relationship that could have happened. Um, but now all I do have is the legacy that he chose to live for me. And the most important thing that, that meant the most to him, which was me knowing that he loved me. So regardless of, of any actions of the past, or regardless of, of the fact that he didn't choose to come find me, none of that mattered because all I needed to know was that I was actually loved genuinely and authentically. So that's, um, yeah, that's, that's, I I guess where I stood from that point.
1: That's beautiful. So that's, that was, um, a pinnacle moment for, for us because the thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people don't understand that there's two sides to every story. I like to say there's three sides, you know, there's her side, there's his side, and then there's the truth, uh, because everybody has a perception lens. And unfortunately, um, we can all see the same thing very differently. So when you're finding out, you know, that you're in this position where you're like saying the words, I love you, dad. And you're like, wait a minute. I didn't even uh, I didn't even know that that was a thing um, because you didn't have the stepdads, You didn't have the um, the grounding of that father figure. How did that or have you noticed since then any of the um long term effects that may have um, presented themselves when you find yourself in the situation where you're like, "Wait, I didn't get a chance to know him, and I don't know if we would have got along, but do you ever find yourself like noticing that things are are Affecting you in a positive or negative light due to that?
2: Yeah, I would say, you know, he gave me one of the greatest gifts and that's Beyond money beyond memories and and that was love, you know, like I said, I, I did grow up with my mother um, And my mother to her best of her ability loved us as best as she could but we grew up um, in a very unloving atmosphere mm-hmm. and so you were valued based off of the worth that you brought to the table and so my growing up was never love based it was you know be worthy be worthy of being in the household and put something on the table and so then fast forward to adulthood fast forward to finding my salvation with the lord Um, even though i was saved i i still believed that god made me differently i still believed i was incapable of love and that i was incapable of loving people and so Once, once I found the Lord, you know, he took all that hate, that bitterness, that just ugliness I had began to mold in me because that's what I thought I needed to make it. And he just shattered it, which was great. But then that left me in this very awkward position of, you know, well, now I'm not bitter and hateful and angry. Now people want to talk to me because I'm smiling and, you know, and then they want (laughs) to come hug me and they want to pray with me and they're telling me I love you. And I'm freaking out on the inside. I don't know how to love people. I don't know what to do with this. Why are you hugging me and stop telling me you love me, you know, so it was a very awkward year, I would say, truly um until i I got to to that point of of what I call meeting my Father, though it was through his passing and and then when I received just like just like for Christ, when I received God, it was because God had done so much for me, He took that one thing inside of me that I had wanted to get rid of all my life because I knew that wasn't me, it was just who I was trying to make myself be and he took it away. I didn't say a prayer. I didn't go do some pulpit thing. I didn't tie. I didn't do nothing. All I did was I was on a mission trip. I was just following what I thought I was hearing from him, trying to figure out who he was in the first place. I was still thinking the only way I could identify with God was to go on a mission trip. I didn't realize I could have him here in America. That's how non-developed I was in my walk, you know? And so for that genuine moment of, of love, for me to be able to receive that from God, of him just taking that from me and I did nothing. Now. I have this genuine moment from my father, who is a human being that I that walked on this earth, who was part of my, um, my lineage, he genuinely loved me. He lived a statement of love for me. He left, I mean, he came from a broken home. His mother shot at him when he ran away when he was 17 years old, you know, and he left with a declaration of, I'm going to go, I'm going to make a family, I'm going to have children, I'm going to love them, I'm going to raise them right. Well, then he had me and then could no longer have me in his life. And he wrote me a letter saying, I couldn't have you. So why would I make a family? You are my family. And until I get you back, should I ever, you know, I won't, I won't have any more children. I'm not going to continue making this dream because you are my legacy. And so that sacrifice was just, like I said, it just shattered everything. It doesn't matter what could have happened. It doesn't matter if we got along or not. None of that is relevant because what mattered is that he loved me. And beyond any words, beyond any um, monetary thing he could have given me, he gave me a true statement of love that no matter who comes into the picture right now, no one can take that from me. I know what he chose to live. I know the sacrifices to the point that he's expressed them to me. And that's all that matters, yeah. to just be loved. And so now I find, I mean, Marquis is like, I, I could have never married you. I uh. could have never married you. I never saw myself in a relationship, much less pregnant, you know. <laughs> right. Um, so that's the biggest impact it's made to my life. It's given me the ability to to truly be able to receive love, to give love, you know. And, and now you can't shut me down. Now I'm that crazy person coming trying to hug you and you don't even know who I am. She
1: is that person. <laughs>
2: Let me tell you, COVID <laughs> was very depressing for me. Yes, she is that
1: person. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I just got to say a wonderful, overwhelming thank you to you, my loving wife, and co-host, Ms. Crystal, um, for sharing your story, sharing your intimate details of uh, the woes that have grown up from fatherhood. Um, we will continue our stories through others, and we will be um, you know, taking the time out to find out what other fathers are going through and what other children have gone through, Uh, For having a father or not having a father. So stay tuned and we will be doing these roughly at about once a month, once a week. We haven't really decided yet, but we're thinking it's going to be probably once a month. So that way we can make sure that everything is right for you and that it is properly done. And as we grow, we will get better and better and we will be back with you a lot sooner. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your efforts. We appreciate you guys. And we'll see you on the next episode of Birthright Living Legacy.
0: Bye. Birthright Living Legacy needs your help. As we are on a mission to help fathers who are needing to overcome obstacles to see their children. We are preparing to provide curriculum, counseling, and family law assistance for any of our fathers. We will also have many fun events to participate in with their children as we build a fatherhood community. Partner with us on Facebook or Instagram and go to our website at brlivinglegacy.com, and go to our donation tab on the bottom of the page to make a contribution. For any questions, contact us on any of our platforms as we would love to help. Birthright Living Legacy, changing lives one father at a time.